Uh, hi, I'm Pastor Cabot Ashwill. I, I want to give you a quick place to gather update. This week at Place to Gather, we are almost finished with the exterior masonry work. Metal walls on both the exterior and interior of the building are being erected, including walls to the children's classrooms. Volunteers from <laughs> Volunteers from Lifespring have been sanding the ceiling, a job not for the faint at heart. Uh, thank you for your services. The ceiling is beautiful. Uh, this coming week, there will be more work done on the front entrance, continuing work on the walls, including some painting that the weather holds. We're only two or three weeks away from move-in. Now, as most of you know, Place to Gather is not just a church building, uh, but a place for the entire community to gather, regardless of whether they belong to Lifespring or not. Uh, we want to bless the whole community. So one of the early components of Place to Gather will be an ADA-accessible, multi-terrain, recreational landscape playground. That's a mouthful. That will be as creative and imaginative as it is enjoyable and fun. And that middle area that you see on the site there is where the playground and community center will be located. Uh, if you're interested in helping make this playground a reality, I invite you to meet with others who are also interested in doing this. We have a meeting on September 30th, 7 p.m. Uh, here at this current location. Bring your friends, neighbors, uh, anyone who's interested. Uh, this is the start of what God will do, to, I, I believe, to work powerfully amongst our neighbors, our friends, the schools, and our children. Now, uh, as many of you know, so praise God, right? There's, there's some cool stuff going on here. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just so thankful for, for all that has taken place, and it seems that God's opening doors at just the right time. I, I don't think I said that enough. Um, yesterday was uh, the 20th anniversary of 9-11, as uh, many of you know, and uh, a significant uh, date for our country, and so uh, we're, we always pray before the message, but I want to, in particular, keep that in mind. If you please bow your heads with me. Um, Lord Jesus Christ, our God, 20 years ago in a day, the United States experienced a time of fear, confusion, and turmoil as a terrorist attack unfolded upon our country, the results of which affect us even now. So we pray for the families of those who've lost loved ones in that tragedy and for the families of soldiers and others who've lost their lives in the ensuing Middle Eastern conflict. Violence has not ended, nor have fear, confusion, and turmoil. We pray for those fleeing Afghanistan and for those who are trapped there now, as American troops have left 20 years after the initial attack. We also pray for the hearts of people in our country. As 9-11 was a time of turmoil, we also live in a time of turmoil today. And Father, where there is fear, let there be faith. Where there is confusion, we pray that you would bring understanding where there is turmoil, fill our hearts with your peace. We pray for an end of violence everywhere and for the establishment of your peace. Your kingdom come, your will be done as it is in heaven. And Father God, you have always asked your people to do what is good and right in the face of adversity and difficult circumstances. Some of us in this room and online are going through times of great difficulty. Help us to be a people who know you for who you are, faithful in keeping the promises that you've made that ensure our inheritance and guide our future. You are a promise maker and a promise keeper. 
and your promises are foundational to our lives. They are the basis for our hope. Help us to believe that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, last week we began exploring the Hall of Faith, Hall of Faith in Hebrews 11, where we learned about three Old Testament examples. Uh, Abel, who brought a better offering to God, Enoch, who walked with God, and Noah, who trusted God for his salvation. Today, we have a new example in Hebrews 11, the example of Abraham. Now, the name Abraham is one of the most important names in all of Scripture, and it is one of the two most important names in the Old Testament, the other anonymous. We worship the of Abraham. Genesis 11:27 through 25:10. But it doesn't end after he dies. The seed of Abraham is the seed that points to Christ. So Abraham's name shows up continually in the New Testament. We read about Abraham in the Gospels, the Acts, the Epistles, uh, the book of Acts and Epistles. We find his name on the lips of Jesus. Abraham's name is linked to God's promises. So as we attempt to know more about Abraham, I have asked uh, a friend, an expert, in this field to come up with me. Uh, Barry, if you would come on up. Um, Barry Beitzel has a, a long career in the Old Testament. He has been a professor at Trinity. He has helped to, uh, he, uh, he's been the editor of the New Living Translation for the Pentateuch, uh, written, I, I don't know all the things he's done, but uh, the, the Moody Bible Atlas, he's working on a 1.5 million word geographical commentary right now. So, uh, and he's been to Israel maybe 50 times or more. I think he's lost count. But, uh, but I think he's perfectly suited to tell us about Abraham. And I'm excited to, to learn more. Uh, so, Barry, thank you for being with us, first of all. And, uh, and secondly, I, I would love for you to kind of give us a background on Abraham, where he came from, where he is going. Thank you, uh, Pastor Cabot. But I must say, I think you're taking a risk for inviting a person who's written a 1.5 million uh, word commentary to be here for 10 minutes. <laughs> you know, this theme, uh, this series on uh, faith, and, and it's, as it is embedded in Hebrews chapter 11, um, I, for me, it, it is important that one reads carefully and examines carefully uh, the, uh, the very first verse in the chapter, because that's where faith has one of its best definitions uh, in all of the Bible. Faith is the confidence in things we cannot see. If you're like me, um, it's better when you can see where you're going. Uh, but, but faith is confidence in things we cannot see. Abraham embodies that as very few other people. Because God says to him in Genesis chapter 12, I want you to get up from your land and your clan and your family, and I want you to go to a place that I will uh, show you, and I will make your name great, etc., etc. God was very precise in what he asked Abraham to abandon. Get up from land and from clan and from family. There's, uh, we in the 21st century and in the West can't really appreciate those three categories. 
But we must understand that those are the three most basic, fundamental forms of security in the world in which Abraham lived. And God was very precise. Get up from A and from B and from C. Um, the closest thing to what that would have meant in our lives would be to think about the forms of security, the most basic, essential, fundamental forms of security that you have in your life or that I have in my life. For us today, the equivalent of what Abraham was given in terms of God's call was to be uprooted, it would be for us to be uprooted and abandoned from our form of employment, which would include a a revenue stream to abandon our retirement hopes and our retirement funds and to go and live at a place where there was no law and order. We would have to provide that ourselves. And God calls him to all of that. And if God was very precise in where he called, what he called Abraham to leave, he couldn't have been more imprecise in terms of where he told him to go. Get up and go to a place that I will show you. Period. That's, that's what we read this morning in Hebrews. And that's what is in the story of Genesis chapter 12. Abraham doesn't know where he's going. He can't see where God is calling him. Uh, that is a marvelous example of faith. He had confidence in what he could not see. And in fact, uh, that passage that you read this morning, if you go back to, I think it's about verse 8, the writer of Hebrews actually says that he did not know, he could not see where he was going. Mm. It was fairly dramatic, not only in terms of what Abraham locations, a plague of, a, of Haran, and he went uh, of our bodies. In. in fact, it's only about 700 miles. Well, you say 700 miles. My goodness, I can get in my car and drive 700 miles in one day. It must not have been that bad. The amount of time it would have taken Abraham to go from point A to point B, that is from Haran to Canaan, was more time than it takes the United States to fly a person to the moon and bring him back and put him back on a second rocket and fly him to the moon a second time and bring him back. The way to appreciate that would be if we were all out, if we all left this building and we went outside and got in our cars and we say to ourselves, we're going to be uprooted from Spring Grove and we're going to go, we're going to spend as much time getting away from this place in our cars as Abraham spent going to the land of promise, you get in your car and you start going west. And you will run out of land before you get there. In fact, if you want to drive to California and then go up along the coast of Canada and go to Alaska, you better have a snorkel. Because if you're going to spend as much time in travel as Abraham had to spend in travel to go to the land of promise, you'd be out in the Bering Sea. It's pretty dramatic, actually. Yeah, that is dramatic. And, and, and what, what, so 
Abraham wasn't just any guy. He was, uh, I, I used the, the term enclosed nomadic sheikh, which uh, yes. I, I think I mispronounced the first time, but uh, this idea that, that he, uh, he was a significant uh, person. He, he must have, he, in, inside his circle of uh, acquaintances, he must have been, uh, yes, I think the word sheikh it would be an appropriate word to use for him. He was, uh, he spent, uh, he, he would, his form of livelihood and his form of life would have been, especially with sheep and goats, and that is likely to have been the same. We know from later in the book of Genesis when uh, he went out and retrieved Lot. You remember his, his nephew went with him on that trip and he went out. And, well, the Bible tells us he had over 300 servants uh, who went with him. So, yes, he was a man of some means and, and, and uh, much of that means would have remained behind in Haran uh, though some would have gone with him. So what would it have looked like before? I know he was from Ur and then he went to Haran. What, what would a life look like before he left? Did, did it change significantly for him? Uh, it would have, I don't know that I would say it would have changed significantly. It would have been, part, it would have been somewhat degraded. Mm -hmm. That is to say, life in Ur would have been he would have had a fair abundance of what, what I think if we would say that would have been a relatively fertile place in which to live. A lot of water, a lot of land for a person who is trying to deal with hundreds, maybe thousands of sheep and goats. And he, when he moves to uh, Haran, and we remember he moves to Haran with his father. God does not call him until he gets to Haran and his father dies. And at that point, God says, get up. Well, Haran would have been uh, uh, less fertile than Ur, but still it would have been a good place in terms of rainfall, in terms of landform, uh, in terms of natural resources. It would have been relatively rich. Let's say on a scale of one to ten, it would have been a, a good six. And then he essentially moved to the desert. Then he moves to this place uh, that on a scale of one to ten is no more than a two. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I was talking about how dramatic uh, God's call was upon him and what faith demanded. Um, another one of the verses that was read here this morning that says that Abraham never experienced, he never realized God's promises. God did say to him, go to a land that I will show you, and I will give you this land, etc., etc., and, and yet he lived his entire life, presumably in fidelity to God's call and God's promise, and he died never inheriting that land. To me, there's also a principle here. Uh, if faith calls upon us, to have confidence in what we cannot see. Sometimes in a modern 21st century, that leads a person to believe, I can't see it today, but I'll be able to see it tomorrow. If I can't see it tomorrow, I'll see it 20 years from now. I'll see it. The day will come when I will see it. I think Abraham would stand up and say, don't be too quick on that one. Maybe yes, maybe no. Yes, he did live to see two generations of his children and his offspring who were living in that land, but it was not their land. His death as a burial. He never, 
In other words, what I'm trying to say is that sometimes uh, people who are believers in Jesus who are willing to abide by having confidence in what they cannot see might believe that the day will come when we can see. We have to be willing to trust the promises of God even when we draw our last breath and still do not see them in place. Abraham, and there are others like him, but he's a great example of that kind of faith. Now, Barry, here's the most dangerous question of all, um, because uh, how long do you guys all have? Uh, no, just kidding. Um, how, did, uh, how did Abraham mark the future thinking of the Israelites? How did, they, how did he mark their theology? Oh, and, and it's an absolutely fundamental way, because... Because since Abraham to this present day, to this present day, any claim to land in the land of promise is predicated solely and almost exclusively on the promise that God made to Abraham and to his descendants. You must have a claim to Abraham before you can have claim before you can make claim to land. That is one of the reasons, by the way, that uh, Islamic theology also goes back to Abraham for the same reason, because of land. If you don't have a connection with Abraham, forget about it in terms of the land that he was promised. So Israelites, when they live in the land, are called citizens. But even as, again, this passage in Hebrews 11 this morning that, that was read for us, the word, one of the words was stranger, foreigner. Uh, Abraham and his descendants, some of his descendants, when they were not in the land, uh, they were not citizens where they were living. They were uh, nomads. They're called sojourners, or they're called wanderers. Maybe they're uh, maybe the word gypsy is a little bit too strong, but something like that. You're living at a place where you are not a citizen and you do not have the right of citizenship. So when Israel is taken away from their land, like when they went to Egypt, or later in their history when they were driven away from their land in captivity, they're called, that's when they're called wanderers and exiles, uh, because for them, given the theology of Abraham, landlessness was tantamount to hopelessness. So when Jesus said, out of these rocks I can raise up, God can raise up children of Abraham, that must have rocked them. Oh, oh yeah, to be sure, oh yeah. Because that didn't belong to just anyone, it belonged to only the Israelites. Right, that's right. Um, Barry, thank you so much for coming up here. Sure. I, I really appreciate it. And, and I think, I don't know if we, have we done 10 minutes? We might have done 15, but uh, I think we did pretty well. Okay. Now they're wondering, how much longer is he going to go? Well, let's see what you know. Uh, what is faith? I actually heard a lot of the right words here. 
Uh, and, it, and it really depends upon which version of, of Scripture you're using, but in the, the uh, NIV, faith is the confidence in what we hope for, assurance about what we do not see. And this is what the ancients, the people of old, were commended for. And it affected their worldview. By faith, we know that the universe, the eons, are created, the time and space are created at God's command so that what was made was not made from, or what is seen is not made from what was visible. Listen, uh, I, I think that some of you have been memorizing this, and I encourage you to keep it up, but this is essential for, uh, as, as we follow up with the story of Abraham, it's essential for us to understand that this is the vision before Abraham, as, as Barry pointed out so, so directly, that Abraham believed in something that he would not receive, and that's what kept him going. Well, in our passage in Hebrews 11, 8 through 22, in particular, we have a city, we have a, a sacrifice, and a blessing. These are four, you might say they're four parts of the foundation uh, of our faith. A city, a sacrifice, and a blessing. And, um, you, you know, all of us board a foundation. Late motions are not, at some point, they'll disappoint us. Would hay, stubble, and straw, they'll disappear and will sink. But the promises of God, these foundational stones that we're talking about right now, will not disappoint, and they will not fail us. So what's so special about Abraham? Abraham stands on the promises of God, and of God's foundational promises. But Abraham's life was rocked uh, by what God asked him to do and how God asked him to live. Can you imagine? When, when, uh, when Barry was talking about those things that uh, were asked to walk away from, um, I, I, that's personal for me. Uh, my family uh, left California. We left our land. We left our, our home, our friends, our relationships and everything to go to a place where we believe God is calling us right here. Uh, we believe that God is calling us to plant a church. And although it wasn't nearly as significant as Abraham's story, it, it it kind of tugged at my heart because there's a pang. And people have asked me uh, for a long time, are, are you going to stay here? And you came from a beautiful place. You came from, and how long are you going to stay here? And, it, and most of the people have asked me how long are you going to stay for. I, I've been here a lot longer than they ever were. Um, but it's, it's because of God's calling that we might do something that we wouldn't otherwise do. And when we hear God's voice to go, then we go. And it might be to a faraway land. It might be across the street to talk to our neighbor. God's promises are foundational to our faith and the impact what we think and what we will do. So by faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he'd later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went even though he did not know where he was going. But he saw a city. He saw some sort of vision in front of him. Uh, by faith, he made his home in a promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him to the same promise. And this is it right here. If you're going to memorize another verse, verse 10, Hebrews 11:10. For he was looking forward to a city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. What kept him going is the land. But he would never receive the geographical land except for the cave of Machpelah. He would never receive 
anything there personally, but he knew that God had something greater for him in store, and not only for him, but for his descendants. The reason Abraham traded his home for a tent is that he lived in constant expectation of a better place, which the promised land in Palestine only pointed to. The designer and builder of this promised land was God himself, and it's a place with a foundation. So here's a question. If God asked you to go to a place where he would show you, leaving your land, your home, your people, everything you knew, your relationships, would you go? Now, some of us are just nervous about talking to our neighbors across the street. What if he called you to go to Idaho or something? Just kidding. Um, but, you know, what, what, if, what, if, uh, you know, what if God called you to go somewhere? Called you to do something that's outside your comfort zone? Would you do that because it's God's call and because the is, uh, is currently... But if Sarah had an additional problem, because Sarah was unable to conceive children, and she was barren. And in those days, uh, barrenness was as, as hard and heartbreaking as barrenness and infertility are today, and, and some of us experience that personally. As heartbreaking as that is, it was worse back then. Some of us have adopted children because we're unable to conceive. But in those days, a woman who was barren really pretty much felt worthless. So Sarah, uh, so many names are caught up in the name Abraham, but Sarah herself had to trust God with her barrenness. It felt personal. At one point, she and Abraham decided to take matters into their own hands. Here's my handmaiden, Hagar. She's younger. Let's see if she can have a child, and that'll be our child. And although there was a, a child as, uh, as a result of that, it wasn't the child of the promise, and God wasn't going to go for that. Another time, uh, Sarah heard the promises of God, and she laughed. And when Isaac was finally born, his name means laughter. He laughed. So despite the heart-wrenching difficulty, Sarah trusted God's faithfulness through the ups and downs. And the emphasis in Sarah's story is God's faithfulness which her own faith rested upon. The strength of Sarah's faith was God's faithfulness. Despite times of doubt and disobedience, Sarah trusted God on a difficult road. And that should help us, because sometimes we are struggling through our faith. It's not easy. We're called to do hard things. Things aren't working out the way we want them to. And yet, we need to walk with God through the ups and downs that we're experiencing. And so what were the results of Abraham and Sarah's faithfulness? And it said, from this one man, he is good as dead, he's worn out, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and countless as the sand in the seashore. And all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they're looking for a country of their own. If they'd been look, thinking of the country they left, they would have had opportunity to return, but instead they're longing for a better country, a heavenly one. And therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. 
And so, what are the people of faith like? Well, they welcome the promises from a distance. They don't necessarily see them. They won't necessarily even receive them in their lifetime fully. Maybe we receive some things from God. We receive plenty of good things from God, but we don't receive the full outcome of those promises. We welcome them from a distance. They're sojourners on earth. Who here likes camping? There's a few campers. Who here likes, would like to camp for the rest of their life and never go inside a permanent house again? There's got to be one of you. Nobody? All right, so this is, this is what we're called to be as sojourners here on earth. We're called to be campers. We're called to be permanent campers. We're going to wander around. Of course, we have houses, we have all that, but the, the fact is, this place is not our home, and we, there's always a little bit of dissonance between us and the rest of the world because we are here, and there's some level of conflict with what's going on culturally. We don't exactly belong. We feel a little bit like a stranger in this land. And we're mobile. When Jesus came, uh, it says, uh, the Gospel of John says, he put on a tent of flesh and he, he tabernacled amongst us. He tented amongst our tents. He was a, Jesus was a camper too. And he was sort of a, a movable tabernacle. He was God's presence among us. He was the presence of God among us, but he was mobile. And he looked at his t uh, life here as short. It, would, um, it was only a precursor to the reality that's in heaven. So the promises of God are the reality of our hope. Let's talk about sacrifice for a minute. Does anybody get weirded out by this? Uh, by faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He offered his son as a sacrifice. Uh, he who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. By the way, that one and only son is uh, only begotten son. God's, uh, Abraham's unique son. The same words that are used in John 3 of Jesus. One and only son. Even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Your seed will go through Isaac. Abraham reasoned that God could even bring, raise the dead. In a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back. So now God's promises have been fulfilled in Isaac. Abraham and Sarah miraculously have a son. Praise God. His name is Laughter. And they're thinking, this is fantastic. And all of a sudden, God tells Abraham, go and sacrifice your one and only son. Not only is this problematic for Abraham in terms of sacrificing his son, which, which one of us would do that or want to do that, secondly, it annihilates God's promise. God promised to Abraham that through Isaac, the promise would come, descendants as numerous as the stars, what happens if Isaac dies? And in a sense, in this very terrible thing, the answer is there. Can you safely go sacrifice Isaac, your only son, when God's promised to, that the, the descendants will come through him? Well, yeah, because somehow God's got to work that out, Abraham reasoned. That means that somehow Isaac is going to live through all of this because he's not married yet. 
and he's going to have to have descendants. And so there goes Abraham with the knife and Isaac with the wood and the fire, and they're walking up the hill, and who, which one of us would want to do that? But Abraham reasoned, well, God will raise him from the dead. He has to live. And he trusted in the promises of God. And you know, God didn't really raise him from the dead, did he? What did he do? There's a ram. Substitution. The land of this points to a, a greater truth. It's sort of a parable, in a sense, of what God would do through Jesus. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But we sacrifice as a substitute on our behalf. And so, Abraham's faithfulness enabled this whole scene to unfold that God, the God in heaven, would sacrifice his only son, his unique son, his only begotten son, so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Sins are forgiven. We need not live in shame, fear, or guilt because all of our sin, all of our everything has been put on the lamb that is substituted for us. Substitution and resurrection. It's all way back there in the book of Genesis. Go figure. Centuries and centuries before the birth of Christ. So let's talk about the blessings here. Um, Hebrews uh, 11, 20 through 22. So these are um, the patriarchs. So by faith, Isaac, son of Abraham, blessed Jacob and Esau regard their future. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each one of Joseph's sons and worshiped as he leaned on the top of the staff. By faith, Joseph, when the end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones. So Isaac, son of Abraham, blessed the two sons. And now think about a blessing. All blessings stand upon the blessing that God first gives to us. But the first blessing that we're given here has a future component to it. Future component. Um, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. Blessings have a future component. Jacob, son of Isaac, blessed his sons Joseph as he worshipped God. Blessings have to do with worship. They have to do with the worth of God. They have a future component. They have to do with the worth of God. And then Joseph, like his father Jacob, in his dying days, was concerned with blessing. He wanted to impress upon his son's future realities. Blessings have to do with future realities. In his case, that the exodus from Egypt would occur four centuries later, and Joseph believed this so strongly that he didn't even want his bones left behind in Egypt. When we go, we're going. We're going to the land God promised, and I don't even want my remains left in Egypt. Wow. What a spiritual legacy that these patriarchs wanted to leave. And it begs the question, what spiritual legacy are we leaving for those behind us? What legacy are we leaving behind? And who are we blessing with the inheritance of faith and future hope? All of these 
blessings rest upon the faithfulness of God, but God uses faithful men and women to bless others. Those of us who are parents desire to leave something for our children. Sports and uh, when they get married or uh, about those behind us. And those of us um, have also, some of us have also invested in other people that are not related to us in the same way we care about their physical needs and concerns, which is very important. We want to care about physical needs and concerns, but if we put those first, we've made it a terrible mistake because the spiritual inheritance is greater than the physical inheritance. If we concern ourselves with these physical things more than we concern ourselves with the things of God, then we have invested in the wrong life. We've invested in this life, not the life to come. And so, you know, there are spiritual returns when we invest, and the more we invest, there's sort of a, a spiritual interest that takes place. The earlier we invest and the more we invest and keep on investing, 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 something beautiful takes place in the end of that. We want to invest in things that last. So, what is faith? Well, there's an old example uh, of faith that preachers have used for years, maybe decades. There's a man named Jean, uh, I think it's spelled, uh, pronounced Jean Francois Gravelet Blondin. Anybody heard that story? So he, he crosses uh, the Niagara Falls in a wheelbarrow. Actually, this guy crossed Niagara Falls a lot of times. Some, one time it was someone on his back, one time he made an omelet out there, and it's like a tightrope across Niagara Falls. The guy was going back and forth. And uh, at one point, he pushes the wheelbarrow across, and the crowd's cheering, and, and uh, he said, uh, do you believe I can do it again? And the, the crowd shouts, yes. And he says, which one of you will get in the wheelbarrow? Dead silence. It's an impressive example of stepping out in faith, but the scriptural example of Hebrews is an even greater commitment. Uh, it involves a, no wheelbarrow, but a firebrand, a pile of wood, and a knife. And which one of us would want to walk with Isaac, asking him to carry the fire and the wood while we carry the knife? Faith always seems to involve leaving something in order to receive something greater. Elisha burned the ox cart when he was called. Jesus' disciples left their fishing boats. Saints of the past left Comfort, security, respectable jobs, friendships, in order to faithfully follow the one that, them, uh, that called them, the one who called them. So what does that mean for us? As we hear God's call, we follow past obstacles and uncertainties. As we follow God's call, he uses our lives in order to call others. Uh, the faithful always have their eyes on something. For those in Christ, it's not simply the edge of the precipice, like there it is for blonding, but a better place, a heavenly one. And our eyes see the city of God. Our hearts are already there informing our words and our actions. Faith can involve sacrifice, suffering, waiting. We might feel overwhelmed with our circumstances, but the promises that we have received from God can never be overwhelmed because of God's faithfulness. Our faith rests on the foundation of God's faithfulness, leaving a legacy. Abraham knew he was looking forward to a by faith, Enoch walked with God. Faith, Abraham left 
his home, his family, everything else in order to go to a place that God would call him to, to be, and he would live as a sojourner on earth. So what is God calling you and I to do in faith? I leave you with that question. Please bow your heads with me. God, what are you calling us to do in faith? To give our first and our best, to walk with you, to trust you for our salvation through our difficult circumstances, to be a camper and a sojourner here on earth. What are you calling us to do? And where are you calling us to step out in faith? What, are, what difficulties are you calling us to go through? Who are you calling us to talk to and bless? What spiritual inheritance might we leave behind? Through your Holy Spirit, I pray that you would impress the answer to that upon each of our hearts. Help us to know beyond a shadow of a doubt your calling and to trust you regardless of circumstances. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.